Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Poets' Corner. My name's Len Germanara, and I'm take you on a journey here for the next half an hour where we're going to be talking with some poets of the day. We're going to be talking about poetry, the process of writing poetry in place. And today we have with us Robbie Nestor, who's a poet, writer, and a retired educator. She's the author of four books of poetry, a chapbook, Balance, from White Violet in 2012, and three collections, A Likely Story from Moon Time, Mood Tide in 2014. Otherwise, from Kelsey in 2017 and Narrow Bridge from Main Street Rag in 2019. She's also edited three anthologies of poetry, including The Liberal Media Made Me Do It from Nine Toes in 2014 and Birds, Beasts, and Trees publishes a special issue of Pomillion Poetry Journal and most recently The Plague Papers. And ladies and gentlemen, Robbie Nestor. Hi, Lynn. Hi. I'm going to read you a poem right now. Please. Uh, it's, it's called Ghost of a Deli Man. And it's about the guy who ran the deli in my neighborhood in Philadelphia. I'm Nate, the king of deli men, pinching children's cheeks, handing them a shiny penny for the gum machine. I'm busy brining bright green dill pickles in a barrel, slicing rye bread, laying down pastrami paper thin, so many layers, it's hard to get your mouth around it. My bread's the freshest, corned beef lean with just the perfect bite of coriander seed and mustard. White fish and sable glisten in the showcase fat bagels on the shelf. I'm never boring, though it's true, I like to tell crude jokes. But when I'm in the mood, I'll give out samples, slice of jellied halva or arugula. My cooler's filled with celery soda, cherry vishniak, cases of Danish by the cash register. I knew how to give the people what they wanted, but I'm gone now. No one took my place. The old country's just a faded photo in an album. Old neighborhoods, the home of others now. Recently arrived from Haiti or Guatemala. I haunt the avenues. Americans have lost their taste for work like mine. Mm. Thank you, Robbie. It's good to be with you. Um, we sort of met over the um, the collaboration that you had with Pomelian, uh, the journal. I remember, you know, getting an email from you and saying that, you know, you just edited this collection of writers and they're all fantastic. And maybe you'd be interested in a reading. Um, I was booking for the SPC at the time. And I said, that's a capital idea. Thank you for recommending that. <laughs> And, you know, over the, the last couple of years, we've come to really love and respect all of those people. So thank you very much. And how fortuitous it was for the, you to have sent that email and for us to have connected. And and doggone it, I'm really hungry right now. So this is going to be a, <laughs> it's going to be a real chore to get through this. The, you know, I'm not had, going to read any more food poems, I promise. I hadn't thought of celery soda in so long. And it's like, you know, I just, I got to get me some now or it's some, you know, Dr. Brown. That shouldn't something. be hard. No, 
No, it's no, it's just it's not right to hand right now. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robbie, um, you're an educator. What, what what did it? What was it that you taught? Was it I English? Taught, I taught composition and mm -hmm. literature to freshmen and so and sophomores who didn't want to be there mostly, and mm. sometimes to upperclassmen at the university. Um, I had one interesting experience where I taught um, to psychology majors and wow. one of the books, you know, I didn't get to make this syllabus, but um, one of the books was Freud's book on dream interpretation. And mm -hmm. they had never, you know, these were juniors and seniors in psychology and they had never heard of Freud, never mind reading Freud. Right, right. They don't Bobby, how, how does that inform your writing? I mean, you're, I know you to be a, you know, a very active and prolific writer, and I'm sure that you've been like that all throughout your professional career. How did that inform your writing? I mean, so, so many inputs from other people. You know, I'm sure well, you're it, seeing really interesting stuff. I mean, that, that sounds like a really interesting subject. Well, I spent a lot of years in graduate school. I have three graduate degrees, two in mm. writing and a PhD in comparative literature. So I read a lot of theory and philosophy and history and you name it. And I mostly didn't have time or the bandwidth to write poems until I stopped teaching. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I was forced out of teaching in 2011. And uh, I don't want to really go into it, but um, I couldn't really teach anymore. And uh, then I started publishing books because I had the time. And uh, I had, of course, ideas, but I never had any time to work on them hmm. or go to readings or that sort of thing. Who are some of the poets that you like to read? Well, um, I really enjoy uh, Ellen Bass. And I've hmm. been going to her craft classes Have you? for the past couple of years. And, mm -hmm. and she has introduced me to more people that I needed to know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I just have collected them all and, and have been reading them and have become Facebook friends with them and have booked them into my reading venues. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I also... Um, love the work of Dorian Lux. Um, and I found out about her when I published um, my book in 2017, which has what I call trauma poems, a lot of trauma poems. Um, I was told you need to go and read Dorian Lux because she does it really well. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, I just fell in love with her. Of course, she was Ellen's teacher. And then, you know, Kim Adonisio was also um, her student, um, another wonderful writer. So, you, um, you know, you're the type of person that I have always gravitated towards, and I'll tell you why. It's because you have a, a passion and you have a way of making it sound like something that other people want or should want to get passionate about, which really comes down to being a poet laureate. Uh, you, you, you really do that job. And it, the, the people that I've met through you, um, I've never met in person, but so many of them, I feel, 
our our close compatriots in a way that I never found when we were in person. Um, and, you know, coming through the, and we're not really through it yet either, but coming through this plague, um, it's, it's created some really um, odd ways for people to get together. But in some ways, I find them really um, kind of lasting, like Neil Crichton in Australia. I mean, I'll never get to Australia. I don't travel. I don't. I don't like to fly, but just you know, meeting somebody like that, it was, or Scott Thurston in England, or some so many of the people that we've you know we've crossed paths with. Um, same here. Hmm. I. It's the same here. I belong to a a, a little um, generative writing group, which I started actually, mm -hmm. and. Um, there's only like five of us and uh, two of the, of our friends, one is in Peru and the other's in New Zealand. Um, we'll never get there. Right. They'll never get, get here, especially not, you know, uh, my friend in Peru is 86 years old or thereabouts. And uh, um, they've, they're having a revolution and, and she can't even get out of the country. Never mind. Right. Right. You know, so I doubt we're ever going to meet, but we feel like we've known each other forever. And we we're share we're talking, everything. We're talking with Robbie Nestor here at the Poets Corner on WOMR. And Robbie, I was wondering, do you have another poem for us? Or maybe sure. something that you've, you've set aside? I do, but where the heck is it? All right. All right. I grew up in Philadelphia, as I said, and I went to Northeast High School. And if you want to know about that place, you can go watch Frederick Wiseman's movie, High School. Because that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dream It Right. It's inspired by a poem called Rogue Dream by Melanie Fitt. I ride the school bus to my old high school. It's my first day at this school, but this time my stomach isn't lurching like a Chevy with a bum transmission. No headache in the spot between my eyes. The school building, that black box, doesn't look like an ill omen, a cardboard carton inside of which a small child might fall asleep and be accidentally crushed by a delivery van taking a shortcut down the driveway. It's X, yet this time, maybe I can solve the problem. She enters the bathroom on the second floor. Those girls are there, the ones who threw her down the stairs outside the cafeteria every day at lunchtime. Their hair teased high, glitters like spun sugar eyelids, the iridescent wings of butterflies, spiky lashes, the insect's folded legs. They grip Virginia slims in their long fingers, turn to look out of the window. It seems, despite the paint and pretense, they aren't the monsters she imagined. But I can't balance the equation never arrive at the cafeteria 
still eating lunch in the bathroom on the second floor. Wow. You've been listening to Robbie Nestor. Um, Robbie, when you sit down to write, do you, uh, do you have a, a set routine? No, but no. I am often able to write about prompts, which is why I started a generative workshop. Yeah. And you said you're doing quite a few of those lately? I have been during the pandemic, during the thick of the pandemic, Mm. I had been going to like four or five of them a week and sometimes two in a day, yeah. but I've burned myself out on them and mm -hmm. I've had to back off. And, and it, I, yesterday it was like being a kid in a candy shop, wasn't it? It was. There's so much poetry. Everybody was offering it out yeah. there yeah. and, and I was eating it and I got a stomach ache. You know, finally, I mean, it took three years, but, yeah. but, you know, I had a wonderful time and I wrote a lot of poems. And right now I have three manuscripts out. And of course, they keep coming back, but I do have three manuscripts and I actually just finished another. Well, not finished, but at least there's another one in process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, well, that, you know, it's. I'm sure there's a, you know, it sounds like there's an ominous backstory to not teaching anymore, but it sounds like, you know, it's really great that you have this time to write because you, every time I talk to you, you're talking about another about brand new manuscript and you're <laughs> excited about it. And, you know, whether you, and this is just from my vantage point, whether or not you ever succeed in that's really not the thing. It's that you're having so much fun doing it, you know, right. and we only have so much time. And if we're not having fun, what are we doing? Well, I decided that, you know, I'm getting to an age. If I'm not ambitious now, when the hell am I going to be? Exactly. So, exactly. So I was sending it to the big guns mm -hmm. because I got tired of publishers lying to me, deceiving me, ignoring my work, not distributing it, saying that they were going to and then not doing it. I just got tired of it. And it's not just me. I mean, they're doing it to everybody. So it's not I, a good time to be a bookseller. And it's books, not a good time to sell a book. And and I I don't do well, we only have so much time to talk, and this is a kind of an expansive question. But I I don't know what the 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 going forward what a book is going to be. You know, at one point I thought maybe digital would save the day, and then you know Sherman Alexi came out and said, "Now it's 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 demonic." So I guess that's not viable. But um, I, I couldn't I tell you. I couldn't tell you. I wish I knew. You know, I just I just think that it's it's a time of um, self publishing. You know, just... I, but if you self publish poetry, nobody will review it. You can't apply for prizes yeah so <laughs> your persona non grata um of course if well, nobody reads it that you know. well that supposes that they don't but that's that's a different story for a different day do you have another poem for us sure now one of the things that really influenced me and that formed the backbone of my manuscript everything will be transformed um which is out now in a couple of places, is the death of my parents, uh, four days apart. 
in hospice in 2011. Because while I was teaching, I was also responsible for my elderly, mentally ill parents' care and raising my son. So I was busy. Um, and here's a poem about my mother's death. It's a golden shovel from a line by Bridget Pegeen Kelly. It's called Regret. On this night and many others, just as I close my eyes, the whole past opens out forever, like the midnight sky, heart deep and heart dark and deep. It's the night my mother dies in her sleep, and I am not there to slip the ring of hammered gold worn thin off of her finger. I touch this band edged with unreadable signs, feeling its heavy sweetness. You talked about writing to prompts. Um, what about that do you find um, to be the thing that actually moves you forward in writing? Is it, um, is it a sound? Is it a smell? Well, with ekphrastic, I write a lot of ekphrastic uh, poetry. Mm -hmm. and so it's that, visual for you? It's not always visual. It can be, um, ekphrastic can be other poetry. It can be movies. It can be um, visual art. It can be dance. dance. Mm -hmm. It can be almost anything, other poems. Um, but most often for me, it is visual. And I look at the image and I find questions that mm -hmm, need to be mm -hmm. addressed. And that's where I start. Mm -hmm. And with any prompt, really, it's like that. I find some problem, some knot that needs to be untied. And uh, that's how I write an essay, too, because, of course, as a scholar, writing a dissertation you know mm -hmm. i spent a lot of time uh writing that kind of work and uh and teaching people to write essays mm -hmm. and that's what i taught them to do to look for a problem or issue that was complicated and needed to be examined that there, that there was more than one way of looking at it um so i do that with poetry too we're talking with Robbie Nestor here on the Poets' Corner on WOMR. Robbie, do you have another poem for us? Yes. Uh, I gave you a poem about my mother's death. Um, here's a poem about my father's death. It's called First Death. The last time I saw my father, he was dying. He did it as he did all things excessively. So tenacious was that root, his life, no one could yank it out, as though a thick-stemmed weed seeking out a spot of earth, trickle of water, wouldn't let it go. A bit of root remained to keep it coming back. Clearly, my father suffered. The raspy rattle in his throat I'd thought would be a matter of two minutes, 
not two days, went on and on until I couldn't stand to hear it anymore. But then he'd suffered his whole life, made a point of toughing it all out. The hospice nurse told me to speak to him, tell him I loved him, that his ears still worked. And I tried, but his eyes were fixed on something I couldn't see. I remember thinking that no one else I'd ever know had eyes this shade of green or hazel, though the papers claim that they were brown. I stroked his hand. I'd never known the words to put to feelings that I had for him. It wasn't till years later that I could say exactly what they were, empty to the bone, touching the spot where he had been, as if it were a missing tooth, still aching. You know, I, I just absolutely adore the um, detail that you have in your poems, the the specificity. Um, you know, you're going back to your childhood and these things are so clear and vivid and you relay them so clearly and so vividly that it, I, I'm right there. Um, you you spend a good a bit of your writing is a is memory, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, I have an exceptional memory of being uh, very young, uh, mm -hmm. pre-verbal even. Um, I don't remember what I had for breakfast, but I remember that. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know about you, but I just say I had this and I point to my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, that'll do it. <laughs> at this, you know, that people have always asked me, and I'll ask you, you know, why poetry? Why, why do you write poetry? I, I think I know why, but you know, what, what is it that, that that compels you? Because you are compelled. Yeah, I am. Um, well, from the time that before I could even write, um, I've been told that I was dictating stories and poems mm. to my babysitters um telling them <laughs> what to write and um my father used to bring me a book and this really comes out of, of jewish tradition even though my father didn't practice judaism if he could help it uh, he was brought up orthodox mm -hmm. and both my parents were jewish and neither of them practiced but um they met in israel so, you know, it meant something to them. Stockcrossed. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so every Friday he would bring me a book and he would put a silver dollar in a piggy bank. Um, he would let me drop it in. And, you know, that was spent uh, for my education. And a lot of those silver dollars were thousands by the time I grew up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized later, very recently, that that's a very Jewish thing to do. And what he did mm -hmm. every Friday night, it wasn't an accident that it was Shabbat, right? Even if he didn't light a candle, he did something to commemorate mm -hmm. the yeah. Shabbat. So um, another reason that I write poems 
besides that I was always doing it, was that I'm the great niece of the poet Isaac Rosenberg, the World War I British poet and artist, Isaac Rosenberg, who was killed in World War I at age 26. Mm. And my mother was a great storyteller. I don't know if half those stories have any relationship to right, the truth. Right. But, um, you know, boy, she told me some stories about the family and about herself uh, and her life and my father mm. and uh, about how proud she was and with good reason uh, of Isaac Rosenberg and of um, her family in general who came over from Lithuania, what is now Lithuania, um, at the end of the 19th century. You know, and Robbie, I always enjoy getting together with you. And we have been talking with Robbie Nestor from California, all the way from California, ladies and gentlemen. I always enjoy talking with you. You are a tremendous storyteller. And um, <laughs> how do people get a hold of you to get a hold of your work? Well, um, they can read my um, website, which has lots of poems on it, and also um, some videos including some uh, with Len hosting from the <laughs> Sacramento and other places. And um, do you want me to put it in the chat? Um, no, if you say it on air, it'll go out and it, okay. um, it's archived into a blog spot. Uh, what that means, I don't really know, but it, it does. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's um, HTTP colon backslash, uh, backslash yeah, yeah. www. Mm -hmm. RobbyNestor.net, and it's R-O-B-B-I-N-E-S-T-R, all lowercase. And I think if you look it up on Google, it'll come up. Mm -hmm. It will. So, and uh, you it's can... a it's a tremendous website, and uh, you you want to check that out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there's more poetry there, and then there's ways to get a hold of her. And she does; she's an excellent friend. If you make a friend, you'll make a hundred others as a result <laughs> of making friends with Robbie, and that's a great Thank blessing. You. And you are, her, and you and Richard, and um, say hello to him for me if you would. I will. He's down there, and I should say that Sonia Greenfield. Uh, the wonderful poet Sonia Greenfield is also a wonderful web uh, master, and she made that site. So if it's, you need a site. It's good to should. have those kind of people in your corner, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. And we know each other for real um, because she used to live around here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we used yeah, to I'm, read I'm, together. I'm familiar with her work. Yeah. She's wonderful. She's just published two books recently. Well, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we've come to the end of another Poets' Corner discussion. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time here on the Poets' Corner. Wow, that's it? Mm -hmm.